Good morning, good morning, good morning. 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Time for the My Community Plan Foundation Hour. I am your host, Reverend Mitchell L. E. Kenna Johnson. And I'm your co-host, Adia Hayden. Adia Hayden, how are you on today? Super fantastic. Well, listen, I'm super fantastic and grateful. I, I like how, you know, quite a few people that I end up interacting with somehow, somewhere, <laughs> adopt the super, the super fantastic moniker. Yes. Ex- except Apostle Kenneth Franklin. He, uh, he says, uh, the Lord is kind. Well, everyone has their saying, and that one that I've heard you use is pretty good, so I'll use it right now. Um, and <laughs> if the Lord is kind, the Lord is kind. Uh, well, that, that part is true. Por que no los dos? Si, si. Oh, tú hablas español? Un poquito, um, but not every day. (laughs) (laughs) I am giddy because, um, well, my my first thing I wanted to talk about, I'm I'm not so giddy about it. Um, You know, this Dominion versus Fox News uh, litigation has proven to to reveal the the depths of um, I, I don't even know how to call the depths of foolishness that the Republican Party would go to to be successful. For example, we have now learned that Mr. Kushner is that his name? Mm-hmm. Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner was given access to view. Joe Biden's campaign's commercials on Fox News before Fox actually played the commercials. Hey, you know, you got to use your connects. He knew knew someone in the media and he said, let me go on and look at the opponent's commercials. But, you know, first of all, it's not right. It's not good. And if uh, I highly doubt NBC is giving, um, you know, any of the Biden children a sneak peek at anything that their opponents are saying. But, you know, I'm actually not 100 percent sure about that, because I feel like everybody knows somebody, the private sector and public sector um, definitely interact through relationships. And so, you know, this story is one that has come to light. But we know there's a whole lot of shady backroom deals, things that go on. Um, in politics in general. So what comes to mind as I've got to push back um, is this. Um, Michelle Obama, Mm -hmm. during particularly during the second um, campaign for the second term for President Mm -hmm. Barack H. Obama, she coined the phrase when they go low, we go high. You know, she said that at the Democratic National Convention that was hosted in the great city of Philadelphia. <coughs> Are you really going to go Philly right now? I'm just saying that's where she said it. Right. So, so, yes, I listened. So my, my point is th- th- there is a measurable pushback. I'm not saying you're wrong because men, mankind is human and thus fallible. Um, but d- the Democratic Party does not necessarily play the same way the Republican Party plays. Just, just I, I've not seen it. I've not seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, moreover, moreover, we've we've never heard of the Democratic Party utilizing that kind of buffoonery um, just to win elections. In fact, and and here's why. Here's why. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries said it best. He said, "The Democratic Party is a party of ideas." Mm-hmm. The Democratic Party is the party of inclusion. The Democratic Party is the party of what can happen if we all pull together. The Republican Party, on the other hand, is the party of divisiveness. It is the party that says, women, you have no agency over yourself. And we're on WCPT, as you know, facts matter. And this is a progressive station. But look. Though these things are facts. Mm-hmm. You got um, Mitch McConnell, Moscow Mitch, talking about Barack Obama couldn't have a Supreme Court pick because they were in, a, in an election season. But what then it, pushed through for Donald Trump. So and two, <laughs> two yeah. of them. Yeah. You, you've, you've got, even now at CPAC, you had uh, Donald Trump and other MAGA minions um, talking about uh, Joe Biden is soft on China. 
And President Trump was not soft on China. Let me just see. His daughter got several hundred patents from China when it was illegal to do business with China. And now we know that all you Republicans who might not be listening, now we know that Donald Trump had this mysterious bank account with $300 million in a Chinese bank during his presidency. You tell me any other Democratic administration that conducted itself in any manner similar to what we've seen in the Trump administration. Take your time. No, I'm not here. I'm not here to defend the actions of Republicans, but I'm saying that there are dirty actions that go down in Washington, D.C., regardless of party. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever have you ever seen any party? Member, I mean, you know, we, I'm just going to go. I'm going to go do the progressive thing, and that that is progress on to a better conversation. As you know, this past week, <laughs> this past week we've had we love a segue. <laughs> we had uh, municipal elections uh, for aldermen and for mayor. Um, as you are well aware, none, not one of the mayoral candidates received 50 plus one. Mm-hmm. So now we have a runoff. Yep. Um, our first guest on this morning is one of those candidates who was successful at getting to the runoff. That's the first plateau of victory. Let's hear it for Brandon Johnson on the line. Good County Commissioner, mayoral candidate in the runoff. Brandon Johnson, good morning. Hey, good morning, Reverend Mitchell. Thank you so much. Man, you sound like you've been talking a little bit. A little bit. (laughs) We were talking about uh, NBC, and I got to tell you, I enjoyed watching you on MSNBC on yesterday. Well, thank you so much. And listen, the the movement that, you know, I've been a part of for, um, you know, a good portion of my adult life you know, has made it to the front pages of papers across the country. And, you know, people are paying attention to the plight and the interest and the values of working people. And um, that that's a good thing, right? Because, you know, in order for Chicago to be better, you have to make sure that you are um, highlighting and lifting up not just our hopes and promises, um, but also lifting up, you know, our, our consistent struggle, a struggle for, you know, access to public education, reliable transportation, good-paying jobs, affordability, a good environment, and ultimately a safer Chicago. And so very humbled to be um, a part of, you know, just a very dynamic transformational moment. And uh, I'm looking forward to earning the support and the vote of Chicagoans across the city and becoming the next mayor of Chicago. Fantastic. Um, You speak about building on the momentum of a current existing movement. Can you speak a little bit about more about that movement and maybe who some of those leaders are nationally? Right now, you know, um, a little bit over a decade ago, um, we wanted to transform our public our public schools here in Chicago and the organizing that was done to really highlight, um, you know, the gross inequities, you know, the, the, the school closings uh, that Rahm Emanuel administered. It was one of the, I believe, one of the most vicious attacks against uh, black and brown people in modern history. There are thousands of black children that are still missing from um, that horrific act, uh, 223 of them, specifically were my neighbors on the west side of Chicago. And as a result of that work, you know, the leadership of Karen Lewis, there was a big red wave, as they, would, as they called it, where teachers across the country begin to, um, you know, mobilize and push for better teaching and learning conditions. That obviously is, you know, uh, morphed into the, the the overall collection of school communities and the desires and the needs of school communities, right? So housing justice, um, and you know we have incredible advocates right here in the city of Chicago. Uh, but 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 really, what it has done is, in my um, in my view, that fighting for good schools, fighting for affordable housing, you know, it's really just um, a continuation of the poor people's. Uh, campaign is Barber mm, mm, mm. uh, all over the globe right now is, is lifting up um, the, the not just the gross inequity, inequity, but how isolating poverty can be. 
So hold Thank on, hold, hold on. Thank the you. music in the background tells me it's time to pause for a cause, but I could not interrupt when you mentioned the name Karen Lewis. She does not get enough credit in the city for her groundbreaking work for on behalf of teachers, schools, and students. And I will never, ever, 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 ever let that name go down without acknowledging it. This is the My Community Plan Foundation Hour. We've got Brandon Johnson on the line. He's going to stay around for a couple more minutes after this station break. YWCA Metropolitan Chicago has partnered with a global manufacturing company seeking to fill open positions in their south suburban location. No experience required. If interested, contact 773-902-8989. Email cvcf at ywcachicago.org. It all starts with one meal, one cup of fresh water, one generous person. Sakat Foundation of America puts humanity above all else, working to help as many people as possible with food security, emergency relief, education, and much more. From Chicago to Bridgeview, California to New York, Cambodia to Colombia, Sakat Foundation of America has been on the ground for nearly 20 years to provide immediate and sustainable aid so people in need can become self-reliant. Visit zakat.org for more information. That's Z-A-K-A-T dot org. Welcome back to the My Community Plan Foundation Hour. We've got Brandon Johnson on the line. He's no stranger to the program. Brother Johnson, I got to say this to you. You, you. you mentioned two things that just warmed my heart. You know of my admiration for Karen Lewis. And I was sharing with Adia that during up until the teacher's strike, you know, Karen Lewis was called out of her name on multiple occasions in public by the then mayor. Moreover, he called her out of her person. He did it in a way that you do not see leaders address other people. But if it's someone of Karen's ilk, someone of Karen's gender and aesthetic, then folk feel at liberty to say all manner of things that have nothing to do with the issue, but attack her personally. And you, you tell me if I'm wrong, Mr. Johnson, Commissioner Johnson. If you call a black woman out of her name, you have created a fight she's not going back off from. Well, I mean, it's it's been a regular practice of, you know, political leadership that have left, you know, families behind and the disrespect of uh, women um, has been the regular political practice. You know, I'm happy to be supported by working people um, across the city. When I think about the workers um, of SEIU 73 and SEIU Healthcare, in many cases, they are providing support and care for other people's family members. And child care workers, for instance, are making this low as $4.20 an hour, right? And so, you know, the, the vulgarity um, against working people is, 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 again, has been a part of um, the fabric of, of the political infrastructure. We're shifting and transforming that, and Karen Lewis obviously played an incredible role. There are dynamic leaders like Diane Palmer, president of Local 73, Erica Bland, um, who is one of the, the executive leaders. Do the drum roll. Drum roll, please. Go ahead, man. No, man, that's it, man. Look, I'm, I appreciate the work that you do, Reverend Mitchell. Obviously, we go back. Reverend Mitchell Johnson, my brother, we go back, you know, and when there were very few people um, who were willing to stand up for the interest of working people, um, you were there. And so, again, and it's been an incredible honor to been quite the journey. But, um, again, as I said before, a better, stronger, safer Chicago is possible, and we have to make sure that um, our promises are as big as our city. And the promise of education, the promise of, good, of reliable transportation, affordable housing, um, the fact that we have 65,623 plus of our neighbors that are unhoused, and these are this is unconscionable. And so I'm committed to making sure that no one um, has to lose at the expense of someone else winning. And certainly no one should be too poor to live in one of the wealthiest cities in the entire world. Mm-hmm. 
all those fantastic points and essential for Chicago's progress. Um, as a past school public school teacher, we know that you're going to make education a priority. Um, another group that you did not mention is big businesses, which, you know, we can say what we want about their presence here. Um, but they are also essential for progress. So how would you say that um, your plans or if you were to become mayor, you would continue to look out for big businesses and attract them to come to Chicago and stay? And before you answer, I got to give a little more context to that question, because you, you talk eloquently about the Poor People's Campaign just as elegant, elegantly about uh, workers and people of color left behind. But as Adia pointed out, business is essential to the success of the city of Chicago. So I, I'm not going to repeat your question, Adia. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you're in a runoff with Mr. Vallis, and you're here to gather votes from as much of Chicago as you can. So <laughs> go ahead and speak to your plans for big business, please. Yeah, well, well, look, I mean, this is the city of Chicago and, you know, growth and economic development is not going to happen without, um, you know, you know, the participation of, of, of our larger corporations. And one of the ways in which we actually attract and keep um, large corporations in the city of Chicago is that we have to confront the fact that this is not a safe city right now. Um, that's the number one reason um, that I've heard from, from corporations of what their biggest concern is. And it's no different than what my concern is that someone who is raising a family on the west side of Chicago in a beautiful community like Austin, but it, it is one of the more violent neighborhoods. And so this is why making the type of investments in people um, will be essential because we do know the safest cities in America, they invest in people. And for our larger corporations and businesses, we have to make sure that we are closing the gap between graduation and economic opportunities. And we're going to need big business and corporations to help participate in the overall uh, viability of our city. Look, the bottom line is this. I mean, this is still uh, an incredible central hub for the entire country. Everything from transportation, um, from from our, you know, our tourism, um, from the eclectic nature of our neighborhoods, that, that we can move collectively together to make sure that we are still building towards a safer city um, so that businesses, whether they are small or large, um, are comfortable. The, the last thing that I'll say is some of the greatest um, talent, if you will, exists in the city of Chicago, and that's well documented. We have a workforce that is prepared and ready um, um, to, to lead the, the innovation um, that larger corporations can bring. And I'm looking forward to the conversations that I'm going to have this week uh, to further discuss their, their, their needs. But the bottom line for me is this. If we're going to have a better, stronger city, it's got to be a safer city. If we're going to have a safer city, we have to do what safe American cities do, and that's invest in people. And that's what my budget plan does, and that's what my sweeping public safety plan uh, gets at. So I really do appreciate the time this morning. And you all know anytime you need, anytime you call, I'll be there. And that I know that's a song, and it's a little, little, little <laughs> for Sunday morning. Whatever you call. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that was Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson. He is in the runoff, and we're going to be seeing you on March the 9th at DuSabo Black History Museum and Education Center. Um, so we are apps. Pardon me? And please don't forget to call the website, brandonforchicago.com, okay? Do not forget the website. Yeah, Brandon. there's actually uh, a whole lot of information on that website. You know, some candidates might have a few words about their background, but, but it's BrandonForChicago.com. He's got all the plans for all the communities and all the groups. Um, yeah. He is a school teacher. Mm -hmm. At heart, he is a teacher. Mm -hmm. And because he is, he has this thing I've learned years ago that is the art of completion. He don't stop till it's done. <laughs> Thank you all. We'll see you. Thank you. See you next week or see you Thursday. Ladies and gentlemen, Brandon Johnson. He is in the runoff. Good kind of commissioner. Um, yeah. Well, you know what? I, I like your commercial because, or your, your question, not your commercial. Um, because you talk about you, Adia. Mm -hmm. You ask him about business right on the heels of his comments regarding the Poor People's Campaign. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, uh, particularly progressive candidates, um, they're saddled with their concern for 
um, poor communities mm-hmm. with lack of business acumen. And then he comes right back with no. Uh, businesses are essential to the lifeblood of Chicago, but businesses won't stay and won't come to a city that's not safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know that I've heard a progressive candidate um, couch their budgetary objectives with budget notwithstanding a safe city is one of the pillars to a healthy city and then turn that around by saying you've got to invest in people. But that's the, isn't that the poor people's campaign? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, if we uplift poor communities and communities that have been historically disinvested, that just makes it better for everyone. There's sometimes... You sound like Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle. Yes. Well, there's sometimes this rhetoric that goes around where, oh, we're shifting the focus away from people or, you know, we're taking something away from the majority by giving to the minority. But the reality is giving, investing, doing what's right to the minority, to, you know, disenfranchised communities just makes society overall better. Why not invest in the south and west sides if it's going to make the entire city safer and make, you know, the entire city more attractive to folks coming in and so they could settle in wherever part versus trying to figure out like, oh, oh no, where what part of Chicago am I going to live in? I got to tell you, um, you know, we've got Paul Vallis coming on in the next four minutes. And let let me just say, I, 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 I intentionally lift up the Cook County Board of Commissioners intentionally, uh, notwithstanding what everyone might think, uh, they have managed to do under the leadership of Tony Preckwinkle exactly what you reference, and that is they have focused on lifting the the entire water of Chicago. And you know what they say, a rising tide lifts all boats. Mm-hmm. They, are, they have been intentional on investing in communities in the county of Cook, that were historically marginalized, uh, historically redlined, historically disinvested. Indeed, uh, Tony Prickwinkle and her, and her administration, along with the other commissioners, they invested in communities like Robbins. Why? We talked about Robbins doesn't have clean drinking water. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we spoke to Madam President. She said, look, we, we cut several million dollars out of our budget specifically for that region, not just for Robbins, not just for Harvey, not just for... Uh, Dalton for that region because that is a very economically depressed region. And don't let me sit here on this radio station because you know this is WCPT Facts Matter because Cook County Commissioner Donna Miller will tell you that all southern communities in the county of Cook are not marginalized. We've got Matteson. Matteson has a phenomenal leadership group from the state on down to the mayor, the trustees. They are on their game, and their medium income is about Mm $80,000. This is predominantly black. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is every community in the south side of Cook County is not poor, depressed, and marginalized. Some are doing rather well. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, okay, southern community of Cook County. <laughs> and then there are those that were left out, left behind. Yes. And to your point, when the county government decided to invest in those people, Intentionally, I mean, it seems every month when she comes on the program, she's got a bag of dough for someone you know in the southern portion of Cook County. Mm-hmm. Capital improvement. I mean, even even now we got Bo Kemp meeting with MCP members in Dalton to re, to um, rehab a, a a restaurant. So another member that has a contractual opportunity will have a place to go and and do their do their work. Hey, listen, um, we need to have our engineer. Well, he's working. Is he working? I see him. He's working. He, he might be working? talking about... He's probably winning track. Well, you know, he might be also helping to facilitate our next guest, usher them on the program. He's he's back there working. 
Um, but yeah, we- <laughs> I, I think our guest is on the line. Um, but we're going to have to go to commercial pretty soon, even though the music is, the music is not playing. But what I'm just saying is we're going to have to go we're to good commercial. Hands. We're in good hands. Look at that. We'll be right back after this story. At the station break, we've got Paul Ballas on the line. Paul Ballas in queue. Are you looking for a new career? YWCA Metropolitan Chicago has partnered with a global manufacturing company seeking to fill several roles in their south suburban location. No experience required. They're seeking to fill the following positions. Assembly operator, automation technician, molding operator, quality inspector, setup technician, forklift driver, cycle counter, material handler. If interested, contact 773-902-8989. Email cvcf at ywcachicago.org. Hello, this is Karen Carruthers, my Community Plan Foundation nutritionist, coming to you today on this awesome Sunday with a generational health tip. I'd like to talk about nuts, almonds, cashews, walnuts, hazelnuts, all those types of nuts. Those are nuts, and then you have peanuts, which are actually legumes. These various nuts are high in healthy fats. They are rich in protein. They have antioxidants such as polyphenols and flavonoids, which help reduce oxygenation in the body and prevent certain cancers. And some nuts are high in magnesium, copper, selenium, and zinc. So you want to make sure that you're eating raw nuts that are very healthy, not roasted, nor high in sodium. Make sure you're blink drinking plenty of water and getting plenty of rest. Karen Carruthers, my Community Plan Foundation Nutritionist. It all starts with one meal, one cup of fresh water, one generous person. Sakat Foundation of America puts humanity above all else, working to help as many people as possible with food security, emergency relief, education, and much more. From Chicago to Bridgeview, California to New York, Cambodia to Colombia, Sakat Foundation of America has been on the ground for nearly 20 years to provide immediate and sustainable aid so people in need can become self-reliant. Visit Zakat.org for more information. That's Z-A-K-A-T dot org. Welcome back to the My Community Plan Foundation Morning Show. Um, so I, I added even more words to this lovely title. Uh, here we are, 7 a.m. Sunday morning on WCPT. If you are listening to us, you most likely know that. We have uh, with us the other candidate who has entered the runoff for the office of mayor of successful the city in of getting Chicago. the highest number of votes. Give the man his due. He was number one in the race yes. that got him to the runoff. And by the way, he was saying, I'm going to be in a runoff before the runoff got started. Uh, I'm just saying what I said. That's all I'm saying. Ladies and mm-hmm. gentlemen, Paul Vallis. Paul Vallis, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, man. Listen, you said, and I quote, uh, Reverend, I will be back the day after. <laughs> and by the way, he did go back on another program uh-huh. the day after. Uh-huh. But he thought Matt was Mitchell. Okay. And um, <laughs> Paul, you know anything else funny? That. Well, I am the oldest candidate, so you can forgive me for that. <laughs> okay, I'll give you all that. By the way, congratulations on, okay. on, on getting to the runoff. You absolutely... Um, stated without fear of contradiction that this is where you're going to be and here you are. Um, so, we, we, we first of all, congratulations. Second of all, um, man, you got some uh, endorsements just rolling in the door. Goodness gracious. Yeah, they're going to continue next week. I think you'll be surprised with some of the other endorsements that will come my way. But, you know, you said going to be surprised? You don't think I was surprised when Jesse White said you're his guy? 
Uh, yeah, you know, I'm not sure of that, but the bottom line is Jesse and I have been friends for 40 years. When I was a young a legislative staff person working for the Senate Democrats, Jesse, of course, was already a legend in the House. And uh, he uh, he was nice to everybody. He was he was good to the young staffers, and he, he was such a legendary <sighs> figure in the first place. And it was uh, so... I have known him over the really over four decades. Of course, he taught at the Chicago Public Schools, and and he of course had the Jesse White tumblers. He brought the tumblers obviously not only to the schools, but when I went to Philadelphia, he brought the tumblers to Philadelphia. And after Hurricane Katrina, when I was rebuilding schools in New Orleans, he built the tumblers. To, he brought the tumblers to New Orleans. So he's just he's such an iconic figure and a longtime friend and. I really was honored by his endorsement and the endorsement of uh, of Alderman Burnett. Oh, my goodness. My fraternity brother, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, just had to put that blue and white out there. Well, he's done a fabulous job. He's done a fabulous job in that community. Uh, it, it was funny because, uh, you know, Brandon was saying that he taught at the Jenner School, and Burnett pointed out the uh, at uh, at our morning breakfast with the precinct captains that I built at Jenner School. <laughs> I, just, I just want to point that and, that and Walter Payton, that and Walter Payton before they tore down Cabrini Green, and we had uh, neighborhood set-asides, where uh, children from uh, Cabrini Green uh, had guaranteed seats at Walter Payton, and there were actually uh, some people in, in the crowd one or two of his prison captains that had been graduates of Walter Payton. So it was a... So you wait, wait, wait. I, I got to stop you for a minute. I don't know if you heard the earlier program, but you two guys drop nuggets as as if you're picking up cornflakes. Um, and, and some of these things have got to be repeated because the Walter Payton School, the aesthetic is it was built um, for one part of the community that don't look like me. However, what you just said was when when that school was built, there were set-asides in that school specifically for young boys and girls from Cabrini Green. Yes, because what we did was when uh, when there was a push to open a magnet school on the north side, north side college prep, I said, well, we've got to put a, then a new magnet school in every region. And, and let me point out, there's 126 high schools, so when, like Brendan says, Oh, we got to get rid of the magnet schools. Remember, magnet the magnet high schools comprise, I think, six or seven of the 126 high schools. So we just have to put it in perspective. But I, I, um, I built, uh, uh, I built Walter Payton magnet, uh, Jones. I built the, the Limbloom and King magnet, uh, and, and, and you know where those neighborhoods reside. And then I bought Mendel, the old Mendel campus, and built Gwendolyn Brooks, and then the Brownsville Military Academy in historic Brownsville. And let me point out that we required that all the magnet schools, even with the young, believe it or not, have neighborhood set-asides. Now, later on, they got rid of those neighborhood set-asides. But the bottom line is our, pro, our goal was to open magnet schools and have a guarantee so that kids from that neighborhood could go to that magnet school. We did the same thing with the X school. We had neighborhood set-asides. So, so that school was serving the community. Now, of course, years later, they changed all that. Uh, but... Uh, uh, but, you know, I think that was a, a very, very successful model. And uh, obviously, uh, Alderman Burnett remembered it and was appreciative of that approach. Since we're on the topic of schools, I am a product of a Philadelphia public school, um, also a magnet school. Um, and, you know, I have my own thoughts and views on the place of magnet schools. But let's talk a little bit about charter schools in the public school system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, would you possibly increase them? And what would you do to address, like, any funding inequities um, between public schools and charter schools? Well, first of all, charter schools are public schools. They're not-for-profit public schools. The state does not allow for for-profit public schools. And 56,000 kids attend charter schools. 96% of them are black and Latino. And, uh, and so, so they're schools of choice. Parents elect to send their kids to public schools. And the money follows the kids. So this idea that uh, charter schools are taking money away from public schools. Charter schools are taking, <laughs> charter schools are taking children away from other uh, traditional public schools. And, uh, and when they take them, the children, they take the money. Now, I only opened 15 charter schools. Arnie Duncan open the rest of those schools. Brandon sometimes forgets them and fails to point that out because I felt 
that we should limit the number of charter schools that we're opening. And and we actually opened 30 non-charter schools during my six years because enrollment was growing by about 40,000. So we actually opened twice the number of traditional school, traditional public schools as we did charter schools. I don't think we need to open more charter schools. What I'd like to do with the charter schools is is uh, uh, resist the Chicago Teachers Union's uh, uh, opposition to allowing charter schools to occupy vacant, empty public school buildings. Because did you know that there's about 80 charter schools? And remember, these are overwhelmingly black and Latino schools, overwhelmingly poor schools, schools of choice for parents, and they are barred from occupying public buildings. The 50 schools that were on calls, they made, they made a deal that basically, the union made a deal that basically said none of the charter schools could occupy those buildings, even if those buildings were empty. And, and so you have, you have uh, about 80 of the charter schools in warehouses and substandard buildings. In Manly on the west side, you got 67 kids and 25 faculty in a building built for 1,500. And there are charter schools in the area that have hundreds of kids, uh, and they can't even rent that building, let alone occupy it. So, at the end of the day, that's not—that's simply not right. But, but I opened only a limited number of charter schools in Chicago. Uh, you know, the, uh, there's a tendency on the part of Brandon and the CTU to kind of hide that fact and criticize me for things that Arnie Duncan did. I mean, if they want to have a fight with... Well, I, I, I want to say this to you. I want to say this to you. Um, you and I have had multiple conversations, and the, the one thing um, I, I, I want to focus on is keeping the, keeping you in, in the lane that talks about, as you have with me, on how... Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you, you may recall, we, we've had folk reach out to us to say, by way of example, um, why did you close 50 schools? And you very graciously said, well, I, I have an opinion on these schools, but I'm going to need you to go to the website because then your timeline will tell you I was nowhere in the region when those schools were closed. They were not done under my watch. Um, so you're giving me credit for something I did not do. And I'm sure whoever did it thought they were doing something to, to, to benefit. Now, we have since learned it did not. However, whichever way it goes, I did not do it. And I, and I love that part of your discourse saying, hey, um, that's not what I did. That's not what I do. But what, what you what you have done and I pray you continue to do is explain the distinction between the two. And why it is that, that notwithstanding how many there are, they do serve a purpose. They do. And, and look, if you look at the national polls or if you look at the work done by the Progressive Policy Institute, that's the policy institute that emerged during the Clinton years. They're the education progressives. They will tell you how popular charter schools are, particularly within the black and Latino community, because, you know, it, it's like if you're in a poor community, you have income limitations. You have very few choices. Now, I believe, I truly believe that we have that we have enough charter schools. And if you can open up more charter schools, you know, the state allows you to open charter schools for like uh, uh, ex-offenders, charter schools for individual older, overage, underachieving youth that will never return to school, like alternative schools for people who have been in, young people who have been incarcerated. And That's innovative. That. Yeah, they're very innovative. The state actually allows that. In fact. I opened just such a school. It's called the Youth Connection Charter Schools. It's, uh, it, it's, uh, these are community alternative schools for young people who have dropped out or young people who have been um, uh, incarcerated. Jack Weiss is the founder and director. They existed long before I arrived, but I allowed those schools to form a single network, and they were able to get they were able to add their students to the school aid formula and get extra money from Springfield. So, but. Look, I believe in expanding educational options within the traditional public schools by doing what I did and Gary Chico did when we were in the 90s. That's putting magnet programs in neighborhood schools. Like, we opened all except one of the International Baccalaureate Academies. So we put IB programs in schools like uh, in schools like Morgan Park, in schools like Washington, high schools in Washington, schools like Taft and Amundsen and Sen. Uh, and Prosser. So those high schools, those neighborhood high schools 
are thriving and prospering because we put magnet-type programs in local neighborhood schools. And that's a model that I will continue. That model and what I call my community school model, that's the model that we had in the 90s where those school campuses are open uh, Mm -hmm. to the community all all day, through the weekend, over the summer, and where you can bring face-based programs, artistic programs, recreational programs, work-study programs to the schools so the young people not only have activities and support, but they're in a safe and secure place. Yes. And so as we have our music coming in in the background, we'll be heading out to a commercial break. Um, This has been the My Community Plan Foundation Hour, and we'll be right back after this short station break. YWCA Metropolitan Chicago has partnered with a global manufacturing company seeking to fill open positions in their south suburban location. No experience required. If interested, contact 773-902-8989. Email cvcf at ywcachicago.org. It all starts with one meal, one cup of fresh water, one generous person. Sakat Foundation of America puts humanity above all else, working to help as many people as possible with food security, emergency relief, education, and much more. From Chicago to Bridgeview, California to New York, Cambodia to Colombia, Sakat Foundation of America has been on the ground for nearly 20 years to provide immediate and sustainable aid so people in need can become self-reliant. Visit zakat.org for more information. That's Z-A-K-A-T dot org. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to the My Community Plan Foundation Hour. We have with us uh, the number one vote-getter in the runoff. Uh, by far, Paul Vallis. He is uh, in the runoff for the office of Mayor City of Chicago. He's already given you his bona fides. He knows everybody. Everybody. He knows where the bodies are buried, where the bodies are being resumed. He's Ooh. darn near um, resurrection proof. Paul Vallis, welcome back to, welcome back to the show. <laughs> wow, what an intro. Paul, I got I to say this to you. Um, thank. I was during the break. I was telling um, the team how you know. You know, Brandon made a comment as he left earlier this morning to say, "Hey, look, man, when you call, I'll come." And I just got to point out, you you do the exact same thing. You say, "Look, man, you call me, I'm coming." In fact, um, the two of you have this in common: you both have in-depth teams surrounding you, but you never fail to return the call yourself. That is key to leadership, because I know you both are busy, but and I'm not the only one that says this. So in our conversations with folk all around the city, there are two things they say. They got a, they got a decent team, looks like the city. But they call you back yourself, and I want to thank you um, for being a man of your word, both on the program and for next week, Thursday. Um, and, I, and I also want to say this before Adia is giving me the mean mug about going back to her questions. Um, we we got to if we're going to bring this city together, Paul, we got to accentuate the positive. I feel like a Walt Disney yeah. cartoon. We got to <laughs> accentuate the positive and we, we got to let the negative and the authors of the negative have their own world um, because we, we got to have something different going on here. Well, I think it's really important that people tell the truth. Like, for example, the night, uh, you know, the night of the election, if you saw my, my, my speech, my speech was all positive. I, I let off by telling the crowd to, um, you know, to pay their respects for the work that Lori Lightfoot had done, et cetera. And then I went in and I articulated my vision where, you know, Brandon spent half an hour attacking me, saying things like, I was part of the, you know, January insurrection. I mean, I, I was one of the biggest critics and, and, and that day and posted and con- condemned uh, what had gone on. And, and then, of course, starting with the usual, you know, he closed schools in Chicago and the usual stuff, you know. So I'm going to, you know, so I've got to counter that when he puts it out. Because, you know, if you say if you say a lie once and you keep on saying it again and again and again, there are going to be some people who are not going to go to my website and are not going to 
look at these 78 schools that I built, uh, that I put on my, our platform. People can do interactive. Well, let me uh, say, let me say, there are people who have reached out, and you're aware of this, and they've made statements, and and I was talking to the engineer. The, 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 uh, the obligation is on folk like myself, like Adia, like the many stations I've heard you on. It's our obligation when someone steps up to the microphone or calls in and says, well, you know, one of these candidates did that, that's and the other thing. Our job is to say, where'd you get that from? Because I know that guy and I've seen his work and nothing you're saying right now is true. So either you tell me where you got it from or I'm hanging up the phone on you. And at the end of the day, it's, it's not... I think it's your job to paint a picture of what you will do. Because guess what? There's a whole bunch of folk that got you to where you are right now. Both of you can legitimately say you're standing on the shoulders of a whole bunch of people in real time and historically. So when, when someone steps up with the foolishness, it is the obligation of those of us that have a microphone to say, uh uh I don't know where you got that from, but I can't let you spout that foolishness on this program. And after all, this is WCPT Radio Progressive, where facts matter. Uh, Adia Hayden has a get back to a question for you. But I'll tell you, look, you know, I'm going to continue to really talk about solutions. And, and, and what we have to do with schools is, we, you know, we've got to return to the community school concept. We've got to force we got to force the money down to the local schools where the local principals and their communities can make decisions uh, about what additional programs or magnet programs they want to bring to the neighborhood schools. we got those campuses. Look, I built 78 schools and 125 campus parks, and why aren't those buildings open through the dinner on, on weekends, over the holidays, over the summer? There's no reason why community-based organizations or faith-based organizations can't bring their programs to the schools, even the park districts, which are often in substandard buildings. So those schools are hubs and safe havens. I'm not talking about having the teachers work longer hours. I'm talking about bringing community-based organizations into the schools to provide those services. I mean, just think of the relief to the teachers and when when they go home at night, knowing full well that for the next two to three hours, the kids are going to be engaged. They're going to get a third meal if they need it. They're going to get tutoring and mentoring. They're going to get sports and recreation. So the next day, when those kids come to school, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be much easier to handle. I mean, the kids have gone through so much trauma because of COVID. And there are many children who, after school, they go home. And sometimes a, a lot of young kids, are, there's, a, there's an empty house. There's no after-school program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So with the benefits, the benefits that we know of community schools, um, Philadelphia actually was able to expand community schools through the beverage tax. Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, they instituted a new tax to go on and pay for um, supplements into the school district. So how do you uh, envision paying for your education plans, whether it's community schools, um, high school work study programs, or these alternative uh, schools that you spoke about as well? Yeah, so let me tell you, right now now the schools are spending $30,000 a kid, and they have about a billion dollars in unspent, uncommitted COVID money. And the problem is only 60% of that money finds its way into the local schools. So you have really got to significantly redesign and downsize that central office. There, there, are, there are a lot of educators who are in the central office who can easily move back into the classroom. So it's not like you're going to downsize and you have to, you know, people are going to lose their jobs. But people need to go back to the classroom. Secondly, you got to get rid of this, this really expensive, ineffective privatization like Aramart and Sodexo. There's no reason why local restaurants, for example, all the local restaurants in the communities can't provide food services for the local schools. Imagine a local restaurant like Josephine's or another getting a contract to serve two or three schools. I mean, you know, my brother was in the restaurant business years ago before. Wow. And they catered to 32 schools, Catholic schools. They catered to Catholic schools, healthy lunches, lunches kids wanted to eat. So, you know, the deep, they're spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. You know. It looks like you're thinking about some jaw grill ribs for uh, <laughs> school not quite, lunch. Not quite. <laughs> but, you know, Dr. Joseph West did a program in Florida with uh, he and a bunch of his public health physicians changed the diet of a middle school. Mm-hmm. And exactly. almost overnight, 
their performance went out the roof. It's it's so important. And I remember as a child learning about the food pyramid um, in school. The corporate food pyramid? No. And then actually when Obama and Michelle, um, First Lady Michelle Obama came into office, we that got revamped. But I was able to take those healthy eating habits that I was taught in school and bring them to my family and like bring them to my sibling and my parents and say, oh, like, you know, my mom already had us eating well ate well, had balanced meals, but just like adding more information to my family. And I know that these students would go on and bring it back to their communities and be like, hey, like, you know, when we think about it, we're not eating four servings of fruits and vegetables a day. And so how can we figure out how to incorporate that? Because that's what, you know, I'm learning at school. That's a great way for me to continue to live a healthy life. You know, I would want my grandparents and my parents to live that way as well. Just like um, Autumn and Burnett, um, and then I'll be quiet, Paul, Dr. Joe West is another fine member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. And to, your, to the, both of your points, he focused on healthy eating, and it changed the school. Right. Well, we, there's no reason why we can't do that in partnership with the community. Imagine the boom and the economic impact. Oh, my God. That relationship. Give that man applause. <laughs> Give that man applause. <laughs> it's the same thing with the custodials. You know, when I when I was superintendent of Chicago, when I was CEO of Chicago Public Schools, uh, I, I said Mayor Daly uh, wanted to privatize like all the schools, the custodials, and I said no because I didn't want to get rid of the existing custodial services. They were SEIU employees, so so my deal with him was. Well, we'll just outsource the new school buildings. That was my compromise. You know, you always had to negotiate, you know, for me. I always had to negotiate. Remember, I did have bosses in those days, too. But at the end of the day, but this is what we did. So the new schools that we opened, guess what? We contracted out with all local minority companies, all the companies that provided the custodial services to the new school buildings, not the old ones, because we did not privatize those, but all the new ones. Ask Reverend Jimmy Daniels. Uh, and and the and the minority companies that that grew dramatically because mm-hmm. they got contracts and they hired local people and that money stayed in the local community. So those are things the schools can do. The schools are an economic engine, and the schools can 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 provide better meals and provide cleaner buildings. And, you know, simply by working with the local business, local business on the south side, local businesses on the west side. So. So you got to keep the money in the community, and that's one way of doing it. I, I, I want to make one more point, too. We were able to secure money because there is money at the federal level. So we provided children with a third meal because we wanted to make sure that wow. children the three meals a day. So when we had 180,000, 190,000 kids in school uh, through the dinner hour, engaged in uh, in activities. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, uh, Paul, I, I got to cut you off. Music in the background tells me our, our time has ended. But it is wonderful to end on this note. I pray that on Thursday, March the 9th, when you're with us at DuSable, that this is what the community hears because you just said education can be tagged to community development in a way that every boat in the city rises. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Paul Vallis. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Looking forward to seeing you on Thursday evening at DuSable. In the meanwhile and in between time, Adia, what a question. Community schools. Good Community night. schools. Yeah. This has been the My Community Plan Foundation Hour. See you on Thursday, March 9th at the DuSable Black History Museum. I'm your co-host, Adia Hayden. Reverend Mitchell Ellie Kenneth Johnson, looking to see you there. Don't be square.